welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to check out my other podcast. It's called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. I cover mostly brand new movies there on VOD or streaming services or at the theater. And you can check that out by going to my website, quipster.net. Today, I'm going to be getting into the third part of a three-part series looking at films of the 1980s that feature heroes based on the writings of Robert E. Howard. I just covered two films with Conan, Conan the Barbarian and Conan the Destroyer. And this week, I'm going to get into a spinoff of a sort, although not officially to those films, called Red Sonja. Red Sonja came out in 1985. It is a PG-rated film. It does have violence, brief nudity, sexuality, and frightening images. Definitely would be PG-13 today. The runtime is an hour and 29 minutes. Bridget Nielsen is the main star, with Arnold Schwarzenegger having a sizable supporting role. Sandal Bergman, Ernie Reyes Jr., Paul L. Smith, Ronald Lacey, and Pat Roach are also in the film. The director here is Richard Fleischer, who also directed the film I just talked about, Conan the Destroyer. The screenplay credited to Clive Exton and George MacDonald Fraser. Now, although both Conan and Red Sonja are characters that were created by author Robert E. Howard, They did exist in two entirely different settings, different times historically. Conan comes from this fictional Hyborian age, this prehistoric time around 10,000 BC, while Sonia is a gunslinging Polish-Ukrainian woman from the Ottoman Empire in the 16th century. Her name in the writings was Red Sonia of Rogatino, and that's according to the 1934 Robert E. Howard story in which she first appears, The Shadow of the Vulture. And however, that changed over time. Roy Thomas, he was the primary writer for the Conan the Barbarian comics for Marvel in the 1970s. He decided that the Sonya character, also called the She-Devil with the Sword as they marketed her, she should be put into Conan's era. Thomas changed the Y in her name from Sonya, S-O-N-Y-A, to having a J instead of that Y in order to try to separate the character from her literary counterpart and have a blank slate going forward. Along with artist Barry Windsor Smith, they ended up taking that name and certain aspects of Howard's version of Sonya, and then they added in other traits found in a different red-haired, sword-wielding 16th century French character from Howard named Dark Agnes de Chastillon. This new incarnation would be a bikini-armored character, and she would debut in Conan the Barbarian number 23 in 1973, where she proved popular enough to end up getting a spinoff title within a couple of years. Fast forward to 1983, Universal Studios. They started a live-action show called The Adventures of Conan, a sword and sorcery spectacular to its tour, and it prominently featured Red Sonja as Conan's sidekick in that show. As the character started proving more popular to the public, it was decided that somebody should give her a solo adventure to expand the Conan universe. And in the process, they envisioned that they could cross over. Conan could make an appearance in Red Sonja's movie to kick off her series, and then they would show up in each other's movies from time to time. Now, During this time, animator Ralph Bakshi, I've talked about him quite a bit recently, he made a deal with producer Dino De Laurentiis, who was doing the 
Conan Films to direct a live-action film in the Sword and Sorcery realm. This was going to be a spin-off that might become another series with the right guidance, and Red Sonja would be that project. And Bakshi said about finding someone else who was going to write the film, he looked into the world of comics, one of his favorite places to tap for talent. He wanted a solid writer that was going to bring his screenplay to life. Now, Roy Thomas, who he had just worked with for the screenplay to Fire and Ice, they were busy screenwriting for Conan the Destroyer. He recommended that Bakshi look at Moon Knight's creator, Doug Mensch. Doug Mensch was in the process of defecting from Marvel to DC that year. He was just on the verge of starting an acclaimed run on Batman for DC Comics. Mensch had originally come up with the origin for Red Sonja. He co-wrote issue number three of Cole and the Barbarians with Roy Thomas back in 1975. Mensch came up with the origin because Thomas had run out of time to think of one himself. And if you look back at that origin, the film actually plays out very similar to the comic book origin. Sonia's family ends up getting killed, her home destroyed, she ends up getting raped, and then she meets this goddess that bestows upon her some great fighting skills, so long as she does not enter into relations with any man who does not best her in combat first. Now, I don't know what happened to cause De Laurentiis to end up switching directors in the end, because obviously I'd mentioned Richard Fleischer is the director of this. But Richard Fleischer was somebody that De Laurentiis really trusted. He had just done a couple of movies for him, in addition to Conan the Destroyer, Amityville 3D before that. But starting anew, he ended up going to the screenwriters of Conan the Destroyer, and he extended the duties for Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway to also provide the script for Red Sonja. It would make sense, since Roy Thomas really did create this character in her current incarnation. Now, they were getting generous back-end money from this deal that they had in their contract with Edward R. Pressman that carried over to De Laurentiis when De Laurentiis ended up buying out Pressman, Dino felt that he could balance things out by giving this screenwriting team a lowball offer on the second script. Now, at the urging of their agent who told them never to make a deal for less money than your first, or you're going to be setting the bar lower for your fees going forward, Thomas and Conway ended up declining the offer. Now, Dino did not take no just yet for an answer. He said, think about it. He would protect them, you know, the mafia-style protection, if they took the deal. But they ended up still declining. Now, Fleischer, who was just coming on board, he felt that the screenwriting team was just not really who he wanted to deal with. So he wanted to bring in another writer, Stanley Mann, for both of these films. And Dino did not offer that protection. They turned it down. He really wanted to save money, and Thomas and Conway subsequently lost out on not only the Red Sonja project, but they also found themselves off Conan the Destroyer, thereby negating the lucrative deal that they had set up with Pressman. They were screwed out, basically, by De Laurentiis at that moment. Now, in addition to bringing screenwriter Stanley Mann to hopefully take over not only the duties on Conan the Destroyer, but also Red Sonja, he ended up also bringing in screenwriter Clive Exton. Clive Exton had worked with him on Ten Rillington Place back in 1971. He also was familiar with De Laurentiis. He had written one of the stories for his 1965 anthology film called The Three Faces. George MacDonald Fraser, he was best known for writing the Flashman Papers series of books. He was also handpicked by De Laurentiis. He had worked with him just recently for an early adaptation of Taipan. 
that ended up not getting used in the end. David Franzoni, a newcomer to the business at that time, he would also famously go on to script the best picture for the year 2000 called Gladiator. He also scripted uh, King Arthur in 2004. He did some uncredited screenplay work as well for Red Sonja. They all end up developing the plot line by scouring through some of those lesser known stories by Robert E. Howard for their ideas. And early versions of the script really emphasized much more sorcery and a lot of visual effects, but they later ended up trying to do more with swordplay and some action sequences because they wanted to minimize special effects costs. Dino just did not want to spend the money to have a special effects crew brought in. Now, as far as the plotline goes, Red Sonja starts off with Sonja, an attractive farm girl who ends up catching the eye of this evil lesbian Queen Gedrin of Birkebane, who finds her fetching enough to well, invite over. Feeling very spurned, Sonja's family is soon murdered by Gedrin's army, who also proceed to destroy her home, and Sonja herself ends up getting raped by Gedrin's soldiers. Now, fast forward a little bit. Queen Gedrin ends up seeking a powerful talisman, which grows stronger the more exposure it has to light, enough to destroy the world if it's left unchecked within just a couple of weeks. And Gedrin has the all-female guards, because only women can touch this talisman. All of these guards at the temple protecting the talisman end up getting massacred, and Gedrin takes it for herself. Now, after a forest spirit, basically kind of a fairy godmother for the film, after this spirit grants Sonya great abilities to wield the sword, she vows revenge, and she soon goes off to the Orient to train with the sword masters on fighting with a sword, and they end up giving her a powerful sword. Once she's done with her training, she goes on her quest to get revenge, and she ends up meeting a mysterious stranger named Lord Kalidor. He's the protector of the Order of the Talisman, and he tells Sonya about her dying sister. She had just taken an arrow to the back from one of the Queen's soldiers, and in her sister's final words, Sonya gets a mission to stop Gedrin's quest to use the talisman to destroy the world, but she only has 14 days to do it. That's kind of the convoluted plot to a certain extent, but it makes much more sense to watch it than to actually listen to it. Now, you'll notice Arnold Schwarzenegger is not the star of this film, even though he is the biggest marquee actor of the bunch. He claimed his involvement in Red Sonja was done as a favor to Dino De Laurentiis, basically a cameo in order to help the producer get funding for this other sword and sorcery movie capitalizing on the rights to Robert E. Howard's work. Although Conan the Destroyer made money, Schwarzenegger told Dino that he felt that the Conan franchise had run its course, that they should concentrate instead on making contemporary set movies. De Laurentiis actually agreed with this. He didn't much care for the sword and sorcery films either, but he had already embarked on Red Sonja prior to Conan the Destroyer's release. So De Laurentiis ended up offering to amend the five-picture contract that he had with Schwarzenegger for Conan with contemporary films in exchange for Schwarzenegger doing his cameo in Red Sonja. Now, after his very soon-to-be fiancée, Maria Shriver, read the script for Red Sonja, she told Arnold it was trash and he should not do it. Arnold also agreed with her assessment. He did not like this script at all, and he really did not want to appear, but he felt he owed Dino a favor. And even if he wasn't going to do it as a favor, he really didn't have a choice. His contract with Dino obligated him. Now, for legal reasons, the role would not be Conan, though, at least not in name, because rights to the Conan movies were owned by Universal Pictures, and this was an MGM-UA release. De Laurentiis did not want to pay Universal for the rights to carry him over to another studio, so the script listed his character as The Stranger in order to leave it ambiguous as to whether 
it was Conan to the audiences. And while Schwarzenegger was on the shoot in Italy, they ended up expanding his cameo into a full-fledged supporting player. He spent four weeks in Italy when he was only meant to spend one. And that's because the filmmakers were looking for every single place that they could inject Schwarzenegger's character into the story. He served as a romantic foil, and then he also provided assistance in all of the battle sequences. And the difficulty here was in throwing in the stranger, but still allowing Sonya to appear as strong and not needing any help and staying the star of the movie. Unfortunately, they were not able to successfully navigate this in the end because it often appears that Sonya actually does need rescuing from Lord Kalidor. And Kalidor was the name that was given to the character, The Stranger, primarily because MGM wanted to protect themselves from any lawsuits from Universal Pictures because the character steered very, very close to Conan in look and personality. Adela Laurentiis had difficulty finding the right actress for the Red Sonia role. He placed ads into industry publications to try to widen the net. The casting requirements for the role included being a beautiful Caucasian woman, aged 17 through 22, 5 foot 7 or taller, with a strong face, body, and character. She was to be acrobatic and athletic enough to handle a broadsword and to ride a horse, but also hopefully be able to act. Another ad that they had sent out asked for women who looked like Sonya. She would have long, flaming red hair, flashing blue eyes, and a body that only comic strip women seem to possess. And she should look like she might have a high proficiency at wielding a sword. Initially, director Richard Fleischer envisioned someone like Daryl Hannah. Now, Daryl Hannah was unavailable. She was making Clan of the Cave Bear at the time, but somebody like that. He ended up moving on to Eileen Davidson from TV's The Young and the Restless. Davidson ended up getting offered but turned down the role on the advice of her career advisors because this was not a one-picture deal. The contract stipulated that she would appear in five sequels if they so wanted to make them. Now, playing Sonya for the next decade or more would end up typecasting her into this role, and it would make it hard to appear in any other projects while still appearing on the soap. So Davidson passed. Within a couple of days, De Laurentiis found his Sonia on the cover of an Italian fashion magazine in the six-foot-tall, 21-year-old Danish fashion model named Gita Nielsen. Nielsen was reluctant to audition. She had no acting experience. Her husband said she really didn't have anything to lose. She should go for it. And she did. She had no idea what the part was for until she arrived, and she found nearly 90 other women, would-be actresses, were also auditioning at the time. So she ended up putting on this ridiculous Valkyrie Viking costume. It was too small for her because of her height, and she tried valiantly to memorize the six pages of dialogue in the 40 minutes that she had before she ended up getting called in to audition. When she finally got to meet Richard Fleischer, she could not remember a single word of the dialogue she had tried to memorize. But given Dino had selected her for audition himself, they ended up still having her continue with the audition. They had her cycle through this range of emotional responses to see what she could do as an actress. Look happy, look confused, seductive, and the hardest part, trying to cry. Before she left that day, De Laurentiis had Fleischer escort Nielsen up to his office. Dino was immediately charmed that she knew some Italian phrases that she used to greet him, and despite no acting experience or really delivering much of an audition, De Laurentiis still awarded her the part on the spot. 
Unsure, though, she wanted to talk to her father about this and have him take a look over the paperwork. She never really heard of Red Sonia or even Arnold Schwarzenegger. They have to say it's the guy with the muscles for her to have any understanding of who he was. After Nielsen's father approved that day, she ended up signing on to this $18 million contract for six Red Sonia pictures. Nielsen was immediately sent to London to get lessons on acting and speech, as well as performing stunts on horseback and sword fighting. She not only was becoming Sonia, but also Bridget, or Brigitte, as she's sometimes called. De Laurentiis said her name, Gita, was ridiculous, and he suggested the more common name of Bridget, and the name stuck. Now, shortly prior to the release date, Nielsen received much publicity after becoming romantically involved with Sylvester Stallone, who subsequently ended up casting her in Rocky IV. But Stallone was not Nielsen's first celebrity conquest. Contrary to her role of a woman who would never have romantic relations with any man unless they bested her in battle, Nielsen herself had no such stipulations. She acted more like Zula from Conan the Destroyer on how to attract a man. Grab him and take him. And so she did. Although Schwarzenegger, at first, he had warned Nielsen after finding her a bit flirtatious with him at the onset of the shoot that they were supposed to stay strictly professional. She really wanted him and she was determined to have him. And she got him. He had a sexual affair with her. However, it grew to be more than that with Arnold, as he came dangerously close to sabotaging his long-term affair with Maria Shriver to be with this young and passionate starlet who wanted to be his main squeeze. However, Nielsen's recklessness grew too much for Schwarzenegger. He could not fathom this being anything more than a fling with her, especially because he felt that she had abandoned her previous husband. Yes, she was married at the time, and she had an infant son back home. She had left them behind to achieve this stardom. Now, Nielsen, even after the shoot, continued to pursue Schwarzenegger. She ended up going to Hollywood to loop her dialogue and wanting to get back together. But Schwarzenegger told her, you know, it was fun while it lasted, but he had the woman that he wanted to marry. It just could never be. And Schwarzenegger did his best from then on to avoid her because he did not want the life that he had built up to be flipped upside down by her. Then she met Stallone. Now, the public story that they tell is that she met Stallone after sending him a message with her nude picture, wanting to meet him, and he ended up inviting her over to his hotel for a drink. Now, that's their story. The way that Schwarzenegger tells it, and at least according to the gossip mill, is that he bragged to his friends that he had used his lawyer to set up a dinner with Nielsen, in which Stallone, who also had the same lawyer as Schwarzenegger, was also in attendance. And from then on, Nielsen and Stallone only had eyes for each other, and Schwarzenegger ended up getting the biggest and last laugh. He was able to keep his future wife with Maria on track, and he burdened his rival with the fool's gold of Nielsen's amorous attention. Now, Nielsen herself, as far as being an actress, a first-time actress in this film, she is fetching. She doesn't have a lot of acting range here, but I think she acquits herself relatively well under the circumstances, even though she's objectively not a very good actress. Now, for the main villain, De Laurentiis had looked again to Conan by giving the Queen Gedrin role to another statuesque and athletic actress, Sandal Bergman. Now, Bergman was actually offered the Red Sonja role initially, but she ended up declining. She preferred to expand her repertoire by playing the villain instead. Richard Fleischer actually was relieved by this. In fact, he kind of encouraged it. He never really felt that Bergman was a strong choice for Sonja because of its franchise possibilities. Being in her early to mid-30s, Fleischer considered Sandal Bergman as wrong for the title role if they wanted to make five sequels on top of that. 
and he also thought that she could handle the role of her nemesis still quite well. Randy Quaid somehow was also offered a role to appear. He was offered a role of this bumbling idiot who ends up getting in trouble and needs Sonya to come save him, but he ended up declining because he felt that he had played too many oafs in his career. He wanted to avoid getting continued typecasting in that. Now, after they had made this film and it was about to be released, the advertisements for Red Sonja really started to play up Schwarzenegger's involvement. Although he's clearly not the main star of the feature if you watch it, the poster displays Schwarzenegger much more prominently than Nielsen, and he appears first in the credits, not only on the poster, but in the movie itself. Now, in other countries, it was even worse than what they did in the United States. The title was actually named in many countries after his character instead of after Sonja. And Schwarzenegger ended up deeply resenting that his fans were going to be fooled into thinking that he was the main star of this movie he didn't even want to be in. And even though he wasn't on the shoot, they really maximized the amount of footage that they had with Schwarzenegger to be put into the film. They even included test shots of him riding a horse around that he did at the beginning and put those into the movie. One clever thing that they did in order to get more footage of Schwarzenegger to use is that whenever he appeared in a scene, they used three different cameras rolling footage of Kalidor's scenes, and somehow through clever editing, they ended up stretching his screen time to seem like he was in the film a lot more. And from then on, Schwarzenegger was miffed. He swore he would never accept appearing in a film in which he did not believe in 100%. Now, objectively, Red Sonja is pretty bad film. It has terrible acting. It's very amateurish in a lot of respects, and the direction is just not that inspired. But it does have some redeeming qualities. It has really appealing landscapes and has a great quality set designs. And that's because they ended up bringing over two respected Italians in show business, cinematographer Giuseppe Rotuno and the costume and production design of Danilo Donati. Both of these talents worked on some of Federico Fellini's finest of films, and they also did work for De Laurentiis recently in Flash Gordon. Ennio Morricone provides the excellent score, which in itself does give it that special spaghetti western vibe, especially as you see the heroes trotting around to that score on horseback. Now that score for Red Sonja has not quite earned the reputation in comparison to the iconic scores by Basil Polidoris for the Conan films, and I think that's primarily because of the reputation of Red Sonja, more so than the quality. Red Sonja, I would say it's on the same level of silliness if you want to gauge it as Conan the Destroyer. It does have less Arnold, so that automatically probably makes it less appealing to most people. The acting here really is a liability, even from Schwarzenegger, who delivers one of his worst performances in this movie. But there are some nice comical supporting performances by 12-year-old karate champion Ernie Reyes Jr. as Prince Tarn and Paul L. Smith, who really is kind of a scene stealer to a certain extent. He came over after making Dune for De Laurentiis. He plays Prince Tarn's faithful servant, Falcon. They definitely provide some welcome comic relief to this otherwise pretty stiff material. Now, often forgotten among the cast, Ronald Lacey, he plays Gedrin's main minion, Ekel, which is Loki spelled backwards. This is a part that's very similar to his most memorable of roles in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I guess maybe kind of a coincidence, both of those films featured the quest for a powerful artifact or object that can be used to take over the world. 
Now, Red Sonja, when it was released, it was greeted with absolutely scathing critical reviews, and it fared just as badly at the box office. With a $15 million budget, it still did not make its money back. It debuted at number 10 in its debut week with only $2.2 million, and then fell rapidly out of sight after that. All told, in the United States, it only earned $7 million in its entire run. Now, granted, it did not help to be released on the same day as a blockbuster known as Back to the Future, But even against a dramatic non-blockbuster in the form of The Emerald Forest, which also was released the same week, The Emerald Forest made three times as much in its entire run, and that did not have any bankable stars to tout. Now, due to feeling used to sell the film at the cost of his reputation, and maybe to keep some distance from Nielsen, Red Sonja would be one of the rare instances in Arnold Schwarzenegger's career in which he declined to do any promotion at all for one of his films. Years later, Schwarzenegger, who almost always speaks highly of pretty much every movie he's participated in, even if they really sucked, he called Red Sonja the worst movie he's ever made, and he often quips that when his kids misbehave, he threatens to send them into their rooms and force them to watch it ten times, and they pretty much stop giving him trouble after that. Now, as with Conan the Destroyer, Red Sonja's only awards consideration would be the Golden Raspberry Awards, the Razzies. You know, these are the ironic awards given to the worst prominent films of the year. Bridget Nielsen, she took the award for Worst New Star, and she also got a nomination for Worst Actress. Now, Sandow Bergman also received a Razzie nomination for Worst Supporting Actress, but she ended up losing that dubious prize to... Bridget Nielsen, because of her supporting turn in Rocky IV, she took that award, so she ended up with two Razzies. And despite her multi-picture contract with De Laurentiis, the critical and financial drubbing that De Laurentiis endured assured that there would never be a sequel because De Laurentiis pretty much went bankrupt within a year or two after this. So that pretty much killed the franchise, not only for Red Sonja, but for Conan in general. It really did bury a lot of people. Luckily, though, Schwarzenegger still was able to endure. In fact, Maria Shriver, when they were first screening the film in a theater, leaned over to Arnold and said, if this doesn't end your career, nothing will. And nothing really has. But it's still a pretty lackluster movie. I have kind of a soft spot for it. There are a lot of elements that I kind of learned to like over the years. I really like the way it looks. I've gotten to really enjoy some of the hammier aspects of the film, too. So it's a bit of ironic movie watching, but there is something still intrinsically enjoyable about sitting there and watching Red Sonja, even through its awfulness. So that's why it can't be too harsh. I can't really be too generous either, but I will give Red Sonja two stars out of four. Two stars on my scale means that I do think it's lacking something vital that would keep it from being a movie that I could recommend to most people. And that thing that it's really lacking here is any real inspiration in terms of its storyline. It really does have a bubblegum comic book story that most people would end up ignoring for the bells and whistles. And even if it plays as a comic book, I think your average issue of Conan the Barbarian written by Rory Thomas is infinitely better to read than to endure this as a story. But as a movie to crack open a beer or two or four or five, I think there is an enjoyable aspect to Red Sonja, despite its general awfulness. Enough here to give two stars out of four. Now, before I leave here, I will say that there's been a lot of talk recently, in recent years, about restoring Red Sonja to the big screen. In fact, over... Maybe even a decade ago, there was talk about rebooting the franchise. Robert Rodriguez really wanted to bring this to the big screen. Rose McGowan was going to be his Red Sonja. 
However, a severe injury to McGowan's arm left it pretty difficult to move his, her arm and do any kind of sword fighting, so they had to kind of abandon that idea. In 2011, Simon West, he was tagged to lead a Red Sonja reboot with the possibility of Amber Heard being in that role, but Conan the Barbarian, the reboot with Jason Momoa, bombed big at the box office, so that really nixed any interest in doing a similar film. However, I think the reason why it's become such a hot commodity in the last couple of years was the success of 2017's Wonder Woman. And that's when they really looked for other similar properties that they could capitalize on that would make this a lucrative feature for somebody who wanted to take it up. In fact, in 2018, Brian Singer became attached to direct the next Red Sonja. However, sexual assault allegations ended up finding him removed. And recently, he's been replaced with Jill Soloway. So will it still make it to the big screen? We don't know. But at the very least, somebody out there is really trying to bring it back. Anyway, if you have your own thoughts on Red Sonja or the Conan movies that you want to impart, you can find my contact information at my website. That's at quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. You'll also find links to my Twitter feed, my Facebook page, my Instagram. Any way you want to get in touch with me is perfectly fine by me. Quipster.net is where to go for all the details. And as far as what I'm going to be covering next week, I'm going to be staying in the fantasy action-adventure genre just a bit. A little bit more contemporary, though, because next week I'm going to be going to 1984 for another female-led hero film based on a character you can find in the comic book realm. Sheena, Queen of the Jungle from 1984 starring Tanya Roberts. Definitely a film that I have not necessarily enjoyed over the years, but I'm going to keep an open mind. It's been a while since I've seen it, and I'm looking forward to at least delving into the making of that film because I do want some questions answered. So for next week, Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, is on your to-watch list to keep up with the reviews. And until then, thanks so much for joining me on this journey around the world in 80s movies. (laughs) 